I can rattle off a couple of things that I have, things that patients ask you in the office, pregnant patients, about what to do for exercise or diet or how do you store breast milk or you know, sort of all of those functionally useful questions that I never knew how to answer as a resident until I had kids. Um, please ask. So that's what this is supposed to be for. Uh, this is going to be really low tech, so I apologize if we need to make any notes. I'm just going to use the whiteboard, but we'll try to just kind of do a little back and forth and have some participation here. So um, a couple of things that I see come up a lot or people have asked questions about are some, some basic counseling first trimesters, sort or of what do you tell people about things like dietary things to avoid. Um, so what kind of dietary things, what do you not want to eat when you're like pregnant lady? Okay, so unpasteurized cheese, right? Lunch meat or listeria, right? Cantaloupes, maybe that's come up before with listeria too, but lunch meat is the classic one. Um, we had a cantaloupe listeria outbreak a while ago. <laughs> um, what else? Yeah. So everything needs to be pasteurized. And it's, it's harder to get unpasteurized cheeses here in the U.S., um, but it has to be pasteurized. What else? So it has to be like dead, not moving, right? You don't want really rare tartar, you don't want sushi, you know, it has to be fully cooked. And again, that's just an infection risk, right? Anything else dietary-wise you tell people to avoid? Alcohol. Alcohol, great, okay. So we shouldn't smoke, we shouldn't drink, we shouldn't use otherwise illicit substances in pregnancy, okay? What else? What about caffeine? Caffeine, yeah, what about caffeine? What do you tell people, Sam? How much caffeine's okay? Yeah, so yeah, so short answer is we don't really know, but um, theoretically like a cup of coffee a day is probably fine. Uh, one to two cups of coffee a day or caffeinated beverages a day is probably okay, but we don't really know. It's kind of like alcohol. Nobody wants to really do that testing, um, so we don't know truly what the cutoff is. Okay? But if people are drinking, you always have to ask people, what's your cup of coffee look like, right? Is it a cup of coffee or is it a cup of coffee? Um, so just remember to ask that. Okay, what else? Fish. Fish, yeah. So, what kind of fish? What are we worried about for fish? Mercury, mercury right? So, it's the big fish. It's the big fish that eat all the little fish. The, the mercury um, compounds itself as you go up the food chain, right? So, um, things like um, things like flounder and um, um, smaller fish are okay. Things like mahi mahi, tuna, big fish that are not. You don't want to eat a lot of that. You can eat it, but you don't want to be eating it three meals a day, seven days a week, right? Um, so doing it here and there is fine. Fish is a good, healthy part of your diet, but think about having them eat smaller fish, not bigger fish, if they can do it. Okay? Things like we don't eat a lot of dolphin here. There's a dolphin fish, not the dolphin dolphin. Um, <laughs> but so <laughs> contain a lot of mercury. Okay? Um, so mercury avoidance, great. All right. We want people to be taking prenatal vitamins, right? Uh, World Health Organization says 400 micrograms of folic acid, right? We have 400 micrograms in most just regular uh, multivitamins that you can go out and buy. And actually, our regular multivitamins in the office contain 400 micrograms of folic acid. The prenatals have 800 in there, but the, the World Health Organization says 400 is, is the minimum. So you can use either one, but typically we give prenatals as opposed to regular multivitamins. Prenatal vitamins have a little more folic acid. They have a little more calcium and a little more iron in them. So if you have people who can't take um, or are really nauseous in the beginning of pregnancy, it's usually the iron component that does that. Um, so you can kind of get away with just, if you have to just give folic acid, you know, in and of itself, but people can't tolerate other stuff, just have them take folic acid separately if they can't get a multivitamin. Or you can have them take a children's gummy twice a day, something like that can, can help to get that in there. 
most people don't really need, you need the folic acid in the beginning, right? Later on in the second, third trimester, the iron becomes more important because your blood volume expands, all of that stuff. We see people getting anemic. So in the very beginning when people are often nauseous, it's okay to just give them straight folic acid if you have to. You try to get them to tolerate the multivitamins, but you can't. It's one way around it. <coughs> They do, they do, yeah. All the prenatals are formulated that way. It's sort of those three things that are extra in there. So the folic acid, the calcium, and the iron are usually the biggest. In the gunners, I was gonna say, there's a, the Smarty Pants prenatal, I don't think has as much As much, iron. yeah. There's a couple, there's different <coughs> levels, but they all have, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, okay. What else? So we talked about, what about exercise? So what do you tell people for exercise in pregnancy? Are they allowed to? Bull riding or jumping out of planes or roller skating, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So generally, if, if you're doing it before, it's probably okay to continue doing it at least early in pregnancy. So we worry about a couple things really early in pregnancy. Um, so um, uterus comes out of the pelvis at about 12 weeks. So until then, everything's really pretty well protected in there. Um, once you get past about 12 weeks, and really once about 20 weeks, you've got enough volume and enough mass of the baby that you're worried about sort of shifting things around, placental abruption, that kind of stuff with impact, with um, high um, impact exercise. So a lot of times we'll allow people, if you're runners, if you're you know, higher intensity athletes, a lot of that you can do up until about 20 weeks. Um, once we get to that point, that's usually where we start telling people to modify what they're doing. Um, not only um, intensity of exercise, you should always, same thing you tell normal people, you should be able to talk through what you're doing. Um, pregnant ladies, we're going to get to that point a lot sooner, even though they don't have a big belly in the beginning of pregnancy. The um, pulmonary changes happen early on, so they're going to be short, short of breath faster than what they used to be. Um, so just use that as a guide. You should, should still be able to have a conversation through whatever exercise you're doing. Um, for folks who are runners, we think about transitioning to like an elliptical or a lower impact um, version of that. Swimming is great cardiovascularly. Um, they can still do all of that. You also don't want people laying flat on their back for long periods of time after about 20 weeks or so. Again, you've got enough mass now of the baby in the uterus that you start to compress your IVC so people can get um, lightheaded, dizzy, just a little blood flow issues. So you can have them modify their activity. Uh, things that they were doing um, flat on their back, just have them tilt. Um, not doing specifically um, abdominal exercises once you're past about 20 weeks, because again, your biomechanics are sort of off, your rectus muscles start to go like this instead of <laughs> what they used to be, or flat, and so you just end up pulling things. It's not that it's gonna harm the baby, but you shouldn't be doing crunches <coughs> and things like that. It's just gonna make you uncomfortable. Um, so we also don't want anybody doing high impact exercises after, again, about 12 weeks or so, you get to the point where that uterus is now not protected by the pelvis. So um, if you've got issues with, like people are doing uh, rugby or they're, you know, horseback riding, things like that, where they have high risk of fall or trauma, um, you wanna avoid those kind of things. Um, yeah. um, one other big one early in pregnancy is hot tubs. So if people like to go in hot tubs, that's one thing that it can actually lead to miscarriage. It's the high body temperature. Um, if you have like ultra athletes, things that are doing, people are doing like you know, marathons through Death Valley or something, when you actually increase your core body temperature, that's when you run the risk of miscarriage. So hot tubs are probably the most common thing that we'd see in that realm. So just avoidance of that early on. Um, yeah. 
Okay, what else? What else comes up? Yeah. No, that's all fine because it's not going to raise your core temperature. Um, it's really when you start, yeah, pumping up your core temperature that you have the issue. But that's all fine. Yeah, so I've, that's come up a couple of times. I have encouraged people actually not to do hot yoga when they're pregnant. I don't know that there's data on it, but there is data from um, sort of like I said earlier that um, sort of marathon runners and things, people who have done high um, high heat, high intensity, that they're the higher risk of miscarriage with that. So done like pretty hot. I've never done hot yoga myself, but I think you're, you're over 100 degrees in there. So it's like your core body temperature can pretty easily get elevated pretty quickly from what I understand. So I have kind of advised people just to stick with regular yoga when they're pregnant. So is this a change in temperature then? Because like you have people in the south that like it gets up to 100 and it goes to yeah, no, no, which is fine. And again, it's your core body temperature, right? So it's, it's the, when you start to get into a, a getting a fever, right? And we know that that, that same principle applies to risk of preterm labor, right? If you have infections in pregnancy, you have your febrile, you can actually start to contract. Um, it's a risk of preterm labor, just any inherent infection that's raising, but part of that is raising your core body temperature. So yeah, yeah. So I've kind of told people hold off on the hot yoga when you're pregnant, do the regular yoga, which is really good for you. Um, yeah. But what else comes up? Yeah, yeah. So this is one of those, like, there is no data <laughs> for this. So again, it's one of those things, like, we don't really know. You know, I would hate, especially first trimester when you're in um, organogenesis and all of those things are happening. I, I mean, probably at, like, 34 weeks, if you want to dye your hair, it's probably not a big deal. But I don't know. We don't have any data to say that. So I, I've kind of said to people, you know, I wouldn't recommend it myself but we don't have any data to say yay or nay that it's gonna harm because I don't know what's in your hair dye, I don't know, you know, um, we don't really have any data to say if it's harmful or not. What have you told people? I, mean, that's I say the same thing. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. Know. like it's not a life or death situation that we cover your, you know, <laughs> that we cover your gray hair for, you know, nine months, so. Same thing with acne treatment, too, that comes up a lot, too. A lot of the acne treatments are not, um, that's a whole other issue, that's a drug issue, but, um, but yeah, hair dye is a, What, how about breast milk? This is a later term thing, but what about breast milk? People are gonna decide that they want to pump, they want to store breast milk, how long can they store it for? This comes up. Sorry, go ahead. It depends on how they store it. Okay, so how about out like in, a, in their little cooler, or actually just sitting out, let's say just sitting out. If they pump, they're at work, it sits out, how long can they leave it? About six hours. So I'm a pretty simple person. I have trouble remembering things. So I think about six hours, or sorry, six hours, six days, six months, right? So if it's six hours sitting out, um, six days in the fridge, there's a full wheel room in here, but six hours, six days, six months, six days in the fridge if it's stored refrigerated, and then six months in a deep freeze. It's a rough, rough estimate. Okay. Um, so you tell people if they froze their breast milk and the power goes out and they're not sure like, what happened to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so um, yeah, you don't, I mean, you don't really, know. I'd say use it just like you, like if you were to thought, like if you're not sure, treat it like it's thawed out and use it like, yeah. like within your car. So, um, yeah. In turn, I think the decrease is decreased. Yes. The breast Yes. Freezer, which is what's on most yes. all refrigerators, it's not six months, it's one 
Right, right. So if you're, but if you, if it's in the, yeah. So if it's in the, it's basically if it's in the back in the bottom of your freezer, like you can store it. I think it's actually, actually six months for like you said a deep freezer. So if you have a separate freezer, it's a good point. A separate, a separate freezer. freezer. You can't be opening and closing. Like it can't be with your refrigerator. It, can't, it has to be a separate. Yeah, deep freezer. It's a good point. So, what else comes up? What's it? Sleep. Yes. You mean position for sleep? Yeah, so um, what you're referring to too is, is just back position for sleep. So um, there's been some recent research on can people sleep on their back? Does that lead to an increased risk of stillbirth? Um, the, the data that's come out most recently for that has said yes, but there's been some studies both ways. Um, so the most current recommendation that I'm aware of from, from ACOG is basically to encourage people not to sleep flat on their back um, in the third trimester. But again, the data is mixed, so we're not totally sure. It's the short answer. What about hydration? Yeah, definitely you want to stay hydrated. We tell pe I tell people to drink till their pee is clear. <laughs> so it's just a really easy way for folks to monitor themselves, but if, you, if they're looking and their urine's dark, that's, you're not hydrated enough. Um, and you do need quite a bit of fluid, water, pregnancy-wise, um, it's more than you think. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, how about... What about sex? Oh, what about that? <laughs> um, you mean, can they can they engage in intercourse? Or get, yeah, yes. Um, there's <laughs> there's um, a lot of people will ask about sort of third trimester ways to get themselves into labor. <laughs> um, that is actually not a bad way. Um, the, the, um, semen actually, you have um, the chemical content actually a little, acts a little bit like a progesterone, and so you can stimulate some contractions. But yeah, it's not um, not contraindicated. Again, positioning things like that, you got to be a little careful, um, just in terms of you know, trauma being on your back, that kind of thing. So somebody has a history of preterm labor. Yeah. So again, it's not contraindicated. Um, if so, there's some caveats to this, right? You can't have a placenta previa. Because um, that's nothing in the vagina, anything. Um, you can't have, um, so if you are currently, let's say you're currently um, or recently treated or being monitored for preterm labor, let's say you were in the hospital, you had preterm labor, you have dilated cervix, you've been contracting, probably not a great idea. Um, it's, the issue there is really it's hard to separate then what's happening. So because the intercourse can bring on contractions, then you don't know, okay, we've been intercourse, intercourse or I'm actually in preterm labor. So yeah, there's no, like I said, if you're actively being monitored for preterm labor, probably a good idea to do a little more vaginal rest with that. Yeah, and then previous, the other big one, indication there. Um, what else? Interesting. I haven't heard that one before. Because yeah, I would say definitely cut down on your smoking. Yeah, not that I know of. I have like, to look that one up. Oh, I'm smoking. If I cut down, that'll actually be more harmful to my baby. That, that I haven't heard. Yeah. I wonder if that's a. How many patients have you heard that from? <laughs> Interesting. Quick question. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So nicotine replacement, yes. So it's you're basically getting the nicotine one way or the other. You're basically just eliminating yeah. all the tar and the other carcinogenics that you're getting from smoking. Um, THC, marijuana, because everybody and their sister is using marijuana, it seems like. Um, what do you tell people about that? Don't do it. Yeah. Um, similar risk factors to smoking is sort of what they're seeing, but then there's also some longer-term concerns for, for development, for risk of psychiatric disease, things like that. A lot of that data we don't fully know yet. Um, one of the more recent uh, publications looked at linked with decreased birth weight, um, linked with preterm labor, um, again, sort of similar to your smoking, the safe smoking risks with marijuana, with the addition of some psychological potential risks down the line. They don't think there's a difference in IQ, but um, some of the psychiatric disorders may be increased. Yeah, it's, it, well, so so that's just a little bit different. We don't have data for CBD. So CBD is the non-hallucinogenic component of marijuana, right? Um, so there's THC, which is the hallucinogenic component, and CBD. We actually don't have a lot of data for CBD products. It's relatively new. Um, this is mostly THC. Um, what about essential oils? Essential oils. Um, they are, I guess, essential. But <laughs> um, I have not encountered a whole lot of that. I would probably just ask people, what, you know, what, what are you using? Um, as long as there's not a teratogenic effect, I don't think it's probably true. Um, you were talking about um, how sex can help people get into yeah. other things. Uh, there's no great data for walking. <laughs> people used to use a lot of things. People used to do enemas. It was not pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, um, uh, castor oil. Drink. Um, so really, these are stimulants of the bowel. And so because the bowel is um, next to the uterus and it is a stimulant process, the idea is that the uterus also gets stimulated. So there are some folks who still use those methods. Um, I, I fortunately wouldn't want to do that still. Um, but you can. Um, we can also talk about stripping membranes in the office. That's not really an educational thing, but that's one other thing that we can that has been shown to at least to decrease risks of or rates of postdatism if you start stripping membranes. Um, it's basically a vaginal exam where you kind of run your finger around and you put prostaglandin and release basically um, to help induce labor. go over time here, but anybody else with any burning sort of? Do you have any, sorry to belabor the point, do you have any recommendations for gummy vitamins? Because I still haven't found one that has, I still haven't found one that has iron in it. Like yeah. the one that she recommended doesn't have iron in it. So, because so, I, um, I have so many patients that hate taking a horse pill and love taking the gummies, but all the gummies that I've researched don't have iron. Yeah. Um, so can you take Flintstones with iron? You can take Flintstones with iron. Yeah. Flintstones with iron. Yeah. There's a Flintstones without iron and Flintstones with iron. Yeah. Okay. Just a, yeah. Yeah. And there's some, like, some house brands and stuff, too, that I mean, I know, like, Sam's Club has, like, gummy bear vitamin. Like, a children's might give you that has iron in it. So, it's kiddo vitamins with iron. Yeah. 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 Two a day. Yeah, two, yeah. Two, of the two of the kiddos. Two of the kiddos. Yeah. 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 They don't have to. That's where like the first trimester you don't 
fully, but it helps to prevent the anemia then later on because that's you're building your blood volume, like your red cell volume. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you.